Hello, everyone, and welcome back for episode 13 of the Ready, Set, Shag podcast. Uh, I'm really excited for my guest today. Uh, I've been been trying to mix up the content and try and bring new people on, people, like I said, that I really admire and I want to learn more from because I am just a, a lowly man uh, here on YouTube trying to learn a thing or two uh, and do so in a longer format uh, discussion, uh, which I know is popular among some people, but I, I try and bring these discussions where I can. And today, um, I'm, I'm really, really excited to be able to talk um, with her. Uh, quick, a quick bio: she is a um, a contributor writer for the Post Millennial and Human Events. She's a transsexual Catholic veteran and minarchist, which is something I just learned about, and I can't wait to discuss more. Everyone, please welcome Sarah Agent. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? I am. I'm doing well. I, uh, like I said, uh, learning about this brand new thing called uh, as a minarchist, which you are. Um, and just, I guess we could educate those who might not know what the, what it is. Could you give us a, a quick rundown of what a minarchist is? Yeah. So it's one of the, it's an area of libertarianism. If you know libertarianism, there's different ideologies that basically scans, spans from, you know, complete anarchy, lack of government, self-control, individualism to constitutionalism. Minarchy is kind of somewhere in the middle to where it's pretty much anarchy, except for we do have a, a government that's sole role is to provide a standing military to protect our borders, um, not to go fight other people's wars, but to defend the country. And simply, I, I would consider myself an ANCAP. I just don't think it's sustainable. I think we would live in a perpetual state of Afghanistan and trying to fight off foreign invaders. So that's basically what it is in a nutshell. Okay, cool. Um, no, it's, it, well, again, thank you for accepting my invitation to to join me for this discussion. I, you know, I've, and maybe in some ways this this conversation is a bit self serving because I don't I don't know much about the space of um, like transgenderism, the LGBT community, um, and you know, I for someone like me who is often labeled as a a cis white male on certain online spaces, um, it becomes frustrating to. Um, to combat these sort of like, well, you don't understand historically oppressed people. So I wanted this to be a discussion so I could educate myself on, if that is the case, um, you know, transgender individuals being uh, historically oppressed uh, and also like just kind of understanding where you're coming from and everything that you do. Um, so you write articles for the post millennial and um, and human events and there there's some great ones that I was able to peek at a few and there's um, I mean there's questions all around first one being you 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 describe yourself as transsexual what in your mind is the difference between transsexual and transgender oh there's a huge difference so um, and we're trying to move back a lot of us that are kind of more on the right wing side of the spectrum, or at least what you consider not far left. Um, you know, we are trying to go back to transsexualism because, or what the terms transsexual, because transgenderism was kind of took over the space in 2013. Around that time is when it changed from transsexual. It used to be, there used to be the crossdressers, then transvestites, then transsexuals. And the only ones considered trans under the trans umbrella were the transsexuals. And basically that means that you have diagnosed gender dysphoria 
and you have taken you have medically transitioned or you've taken the steps to medically transitioned and and, and you bit and you live basically you live your life as the opposite sex even though you're, you're you can't change your sex we all know that we recognize our biological realities um but that's just the way we present ourselves to, to society. And so transgenderism, when it took over, this was kind of queer theory infiltrating uh, the trans umbrella. So transgender is an umbrella term that covers anybody who basically um, doesn't feel like they're, you know, the, the sex that they were born as. So they consider themselves, you know, outside of that. Um, and so it can be whatever you want. It can be a social construct. And, you know, again, I, I said queer theory before. Queer theory is based in postmodern neo-Marxism and postmodernism in and of itself, they don't believe in absolutes. So when you start to say that, you know, that's what transgender is, queer theory, basically in a nutshell, it they don't believe that there's any such thing as absolute truth. So there is a huge difference between those of us that live within the binary, live within, um, you know, accept the mental illness that we have, uh, which is, you know, gender dysphoria and, and, and understand how it works. And those of us that want to change the way that everybody in the world kind of thinks about this stuff. So it's really important that we're trying to move back to a semblance of reality because that's what transsexuals are. It, uh, in one of your articles, I was I was reading you 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 go in depth about like transgender versus transsexual a little bit, mm -hmm. and I, I guess in in the, actually an even a more reductive term I feel like is is come out is just the word trans. Like it feels like yeah. it's almost like this sort of slang, and I think you um, touched on it as well as as trans trenders, people who are just sort of in there because their friends are doing it or because they think it looks cool. Um, like they're getting some internet attention. They just sort of say like, well, I'm trans, not really understanding like your side of things is like you're, you're, you're dealing with um, like a, a mental disorder that you've, yep. you know, that you live with your entire life and you've been to doctors, you've, you know, you've obviously gone through a big transformation physically, uh, and then you have people who are just sort of like, well, I just feel like kind of moving between the, you know, the, the genders, like sometimes I feel like a boy, sometimes I feel like a girl. Um, do you, do you think it weakens what it means to be like a, a transsexual or a transgender individual? Yeah. I mean, what we're seeing right now is everybody being placed into this category and it also makes people feel like, the vast majority of the population is starting to see them because they're the loudest when they, you know, had their activism and everything like that. And they're starting to, you know, take that and make it the perception of what trans actually means. And so when you say that, like, if I go to say that I'm trans, they're going to put me in this box and think that I believe everything that, you know, these, these people over here believe. And it's just not the case. Um, and yeah, like when you're, and and basically they they can't describe what they're talking about. They can't like they have no definition, so they can't like tell you you know what a woman is or anything like that. And and so it, it makes it very difficult um, for those of us over here to just live our lives and be normal because that's all we really ever wanted in the first place. And now you have a lot of us that have to actually step out of our you know step out of the stealth bubble 
and you know fight back fight back to claim reclaim what was once ours and now other people have taken this perception um if you saw one of my articles and what i really have started to see especially lately and um is that a lot of the activism like when you look at the activism you see that most of these people are not really trans like when you see what happened to riley Gaines in san francisco you look at those crowds and you're like wait a second these people don't look like they've done anything to change their appearance most of it's all based on stereotypes um if they even label themselves as trans at all um a lot some of you you may never know because you know non-binary you can still present as your given sex and be non-binary um but you see these people and you're like wait a second these are the people that are shaping our perceptions there's maybe one or two trans people in this crowd and it really started to link up to me that again this is critical theory so they tried this in 2020 with black lives matters so black lives matters with critical race theory they tried to implement this ideology but what their flaw there was it required you know black people to take up the mantle and execute the violence and the and the activism for them mm -hmm. trans community all they have to do is self-id into this category and you can't question it um perpetuate all this harm and then self-ID out of it. Um, and yeah, you're right. The term, it's funny because we don't really, I don't hear the term very much anymore, but trans trender is something that when I was first starting to, you know, when I got out, after I had got out of the army in 2017, in 2018, I started seeing this word trans trender. And I was like, what is this? And yeah, that was kind of when it took off, when this became a social contagion and it became, you know, popular for, especially for young kids to, um, you know, be, say they're trans just to fit in with their friend group. And it kind of became more like, you know, the goth kids or the emo kids or, you know, the scene kids. That's like the, the pipeline that we've seen happen. It's like the popular, it's like the popular thing to do for that more outcasts um to get into right. that's kind right. of where everybody fits in the only difference is is now they're medicalizing and that's the biggest issue i think that society is seeing is because we don't want children to be medicalized like we didn't see that in those other groups other than mm -hmm. maybe tattoos and piercings which you know that's different but um <laughs> th they're taking life-altering hormones and everything like that to try to be non-binary or even uh transition fully and it's sterilizing them. And then a lot of them go on to have regrets. And we know a lot, I speak out a lot with detransitioners as well. That seems, I mean, speaking from the point of view of a, a parent who has young kids, uh, that, that seems to be the biggest issue with me is like, I'm fairly libertarian in the way like people can do what they want with their lives, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to impose my will and I don't want others to impose their will on me. Um, but of course I'll speak out on things that I believe are, are good or bad. You know, I think we all reserve that. Right. But the, when you start seeing these teachers for lack of a better term, almost convincing kids that they aren't who they were born as, or, you know, you're, the doctor just happened to guess at their sex when they were born. And we, we have a chance to change that along the way that that's the kind of stuff. And I guess leads to social contagion where like, it, I mean, we can all be who we want to be, but when you start asking young kids who can't consent to anything to start reworking who they are in their brain, you're asking for a lot of trouble. And especially because most of the stuff is just being affirmed, like at the drop of a hat, like someone 
So, well, I feel like a girl. It's like, well, you're you're probably you were probably born um, in the wrong as the wrong sex, and then like all this stuff happens. And when when I look at each case of detransitioners, it there's a common thread to pull through them where that that's exactly what happened is that they were affirmed after the first or second appointment and they're they were started on um hormone replace, replacement therapy and that's where i think like we need to start asking more questions about what what the implications are here and what what could happen if things go sideways what if things are happening a little bit too early um i want to run back real quick and ask because this is a question that obviously gets asked a lot in this space and it was going around um, after the documentary was dropped. But in your opinion, how do you define a woman? <laughs> An adult human female. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's pretty simple. I actually have three definitions. You know, I, I've laid this out before. So um, a woman is an adult human female. A trans woman is an adult human male with gender dysphoria that takes the steps to, you know, transition in society to alleviate their gender dysphoria. I mean, it's pretty simple. Actually, when I was on, um, I was on Timcast on June 1st um, on the after show, Ian asked me the first, uh, not that question, but he actually asked me straight up, like, are you a man? And I said, well, yeah, I think trans women are a subsection of men. I think that's where a lot of you know, my views get skewed online because people think that I think that because I use the term trans woman, I believe that we're a subsection of women. No, like otherwise you have no definitions that, you know, a man is an adult human male. And so we can't, we're not postmodernists. We don't erase, um, you know, we don't erase reality. We accept bio biology. And so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, there's a difference between saying, you know, using different terms for gender nonconformity and, um, and how you present yourself to society and bio biology. And so that's why it's, it's not, you know, I, it's, I think a lot of people would feel a lot more comfortable in themselves if they weren't trying to force society to, you know, bend to this idea that, you know, men can be women, women can be men. And I think you make it a really good point. It was kind of something I wanted to bring to you or a question I wanted to ask was, is the, is this issue ever going to be solved? It seems how I see it is, especially in the political sphere, is that this is a wedge issue and it's going to be used as a way to to fluctuate power between both sides as as needed. And like, because what I see in these hearings a lot of times is that you'll have, especially the right will say, well, you know, are you a woman? Or they'll use the term woman to try and define a, a trans woman. And I'm like, it's almost like they're intentionally misleading what's going on. Like we can define, as you say, that you're, you're, a, you're a trans woman, which is a subsection of men, you know, cause mm -hmm. you were born a bio, you're born a biological male and you transitioned to be a, a woman, but it, you're, you're falling under the category of trans woman because you wouldn't, there's a lot of, of you that wouldn't, wouldn't line up with a natural born woman. Um, right. So like, is it, do you, do you think that like politically speaking, these, like th these terms are intentionally being misrepresented or, or not used to force an agenda one way or the other? Yeah, I think we're trying, I think um, one side's trying to erode society, um, especially using children. Part of this whole thing that we're seeing is they're trying to erase the family structure, um, you know, pit 
parents against children. I mean, in places like California and I believe Oregon is either Oregon or Washington, like I think Minnesota too, like they had these sanctuary state laws where a child can basically run away to those states and become wards of the state. Um, you're seeing it in, especially in places like Canada and other areas around the world where if you don't affirm your child's gender, CPS will basically just come and take your children. So I think that again, that is the Marxism aspect of this, um, of this ideology that we're seeing. And I, I think you're right though, because then you have the whole other side, the whole other side that's, you know, the social conservative side that are not necessarily going to, they don't like me because they think that simply by living my life, how I am, that I am perpetuating it, the ideology. And so they feel like morally we have to you know, ban people from doing this. And that's why we get away from the live and let live aspect of both sides. Right. Right. And so I think that you're right. I think that it's going to continue, continue to be one of these issues um, that's going to be used to divide, um, especially with social media. The problem with social, one of the biggest issues that I see, especially with social media is people will rage bait you know, it's like you you put something out there specifically for for clicks, and I mean, I'm I, I'm super. I mean, I'm happy that Elon is giving back to creators, but that's going to cause more rage bait reactions because people are getting paid by how many people come and view and and click on their likes. So it's going to drive that, um, even though it's going to help creators and stuff like that. Um, and so it's going to be interesting because. Um, I don't think that either side are really even looking at the solutions, right? So uh, one side wants one solution, the other side wants another solution, the center wants different solutions, and we're all just kind of going, well, if you get yours, and if you get, it, like, I'll take the bit, probably the hottest button topic is the bathroom issue, right? Yeah. Women want to pass laws like North Carolina did in 2016 and ban all trans women from their bathrooms um, to stop the self-ID men from coming in. Mm -hmm. Well, if you do that, then there's videos going around that show that, you know, women being harmed by this because people think that they are trans. And so it's like this whole cycle where, you know, the woman was arrested because it was a lesbian was arrested because she didn't um, have her ID on her when they asked her to leave. And so she's like, I'm, I'm female. What are you talking about? Um, the other thing, then you have people like Buck Angel and trans men that can go into the women's restroom uh, or have to use the women's restroom. Um, and so what then basically those self ID men don't even have to self ID. They can just say that they were born female and that's, that's that, you know? So I think that there's my, I've always said, and then, you know, the left just wants full self ID where you can just self ID into a bathroom and do whatever you want. And I, again, this is my libertarian perspective is I just think that in government spaces, you can have, you, you, there should be third spaces every government run space and then private business owners can make the decisions for how they want to run their private, you know, run their businesses on their private property. If something happens in a bathroom, sue the business. I mean, there's different things that you can do there. Um, I think you can make it harder to get IDs. I think you, you know, somebody has been on hormones for two or three years. It seems like they've, they're probably, you know, in it, you know, yeah. um, I mean, in the state of Georgia, you have to have surgery to get your ID changed. So, like there's different stuff like that that you can do. I just don't think, you know, people that 
fully pass and haven't had surgery should be, you know, harmed either. So there's a lot that you can do to create these rules around this issue. But one side has theirs that they won't be happy unless they get this and then the other side. So that's why you're seeing states like California be forcing self-ID on businesses. And then you see other states like Florida that are passing bills that are forcing businesses to not accept. So if I owned a business, I couldn't, I couldn't, I in, was in Florida, I wouldn't be allowed to allow trans people in the restroom that they present as. That was going to say, like, how, I mean, how would you even, how would you even, um, like, so like you, you bring up Buck Angel. So Buck, if I, if I, if I cross paths with Buck Angel and not know who he is, like that's a guy, that's a, that's a man, right? Like I would say, yeah. I would have no, and I, you know, like even yourself, like, I don't think like you, you in a bathroom or Buck in a bathroom, like at a, at a passing glance is going to cause a stir. But there, there have been instances where men who are just clearly self-identifying as a, yeah. a woman, um, you know, that are making, that are making other women feel uncomfortable, you know, it's like, like, but where do you draw the line? Right. And how would you do, how would you create a set of rules that, you know, I guess would a, a, appease everyone? I, I guess it would be really hard because one group would, would feel discriminated against because maybe someone's at the beginning of their transition and they're trying to just fit in and, you know, maybe they're wearing a wig at the time uh, and they haven't fully grow their hair out yet. Um, but you know, it's like, this is one of those things I feel like people are reactionary on both sides with it. And when there's a real discussion to be had about what yeah. do you do? Because again, the liber libertarian minded people or liberty minded people just like, we don't really care what you do. Don't do anything stupid because we will, we'll, we, we will go after you with the full extent. Of the yeah. Law. Yeah, I think that we should have, I mean, indecent exposure laws need to be enforced, right? If somebody is right. doing something in a locker room and exposing themselves, you know, then you enforce those laws. Um, and, and this is the other thing on the other side, too, because I know um, there's other places where trans people have felt very excluded because, like, I think it was last, a locker room in California, not a locker room, a gym in California is female only. I support that business's right to exclude males, whether they're trans or not. I, I fully support businesses that do that. Uh, there's another person who's um, kind of very vocal activist who runs an app, which is an all-female app. And it has facial recognition stuff that's supposed, supposed to um, weed out anybody who's um, only female. But obviously it's flawed, but still, I mean... I, you gotta respect that person's, you know, private property. Even though it's an app, it's still their private property. It's their business, and they can run it how they want. And so I support that. But a lot of times, those people that I support doing that, they don't support the other way around. You know, they don't support the other person that's going to, you know, not make those rules. So they're gonna try to demand that a gym be open to them and exclude trans people. You know, they're trying to try to demand that on other people. And I just don't mm -hmm. think that demanding anything on anybody is a good idea. <laughs> I, I wonder too, like, and it's one of the, I come across this, especially with like the drag stuff um, that people like, I'll say, Oh, I think it's inappropriate for, you know, drag queens to be reading to, to small kids. Um, and, you know, especially in, you know, in skimpy attire and they'll say, well, why is it, you know, this isn't happening. I'm like, well, it is happening. Like right here, here's a picture. Here's another picture. Um, and th there's never really an answer to it because, and I always keep coming back to it, like, well, what if I showed up? to your house to read, like, I know you, like you're my friend. 
What if I want to come to your house in a wig and a G string and read your kid a bedtime story? Would that be acceptable? And, you know, I can't help but think that that would be wildly inappropriate because it would be, yeah. you know, a grown man. <laughs> want, yeah. Wanting to, wanting to sit in front of it. I mean, anyone, whether it's a man or a woman wanting to sit in front of kids in like skimpy attire, I think is a strange hill to want to die on. Uh, yeah. And again, it, it doesn't mean that like I've been to drag shows. There's, there's some really entertaining drag Queens out there, uh, you know, yeah. adults who can consent to that stuff and are going and, and watching it fine. Bringing children into this, into this space seems like a very, a very odd thing to want to do. Um, yeah. So I guess that the question to you is like, where, like, what is your stance on all that? I mean, I, I can imagine yeah. what it is, but what? No. What you... So, <laughs> so the thing about um, like drag queen stuff, yeah, do not bring kids to drag shows. Like that's pretty self evident. I've I was uh, a part of Gays Against Groomers, and we've done a lot of different stuff on that. I've worked with uh, some people in. Um, savannah georgia to uh stop you know try to stop them from having all ages drag shows and stuff like that it's not appropriate i don't you're right i don't know why any adult male or adult period i don't think an adult and a stripper adult female would want to perform in front of kids either you know they would think that was mm -hmm. wildly inappropriate so i don't know why an adult would ever want to perform in front of children um it gets really interesting when you talk about like drag queen story hour so because a lot of times when you see these pictures of the drag queens at the drag queen story hours and stuff like that, they're usually fully clothed and everything like that. It's not really inherently sexual in and of itself. But what that is doing is it's, for lack of a better term, it is grooming that child to see drag queens as something that's fun. It's at the library. They're great. They're nice people. They read to me. And so then they see the flyer and say, hey, I want to go see their performance. This is what they actually do. They're just coming to read for us. So I want to go see what their performance is actually about. And that is how you indoctrinate them into a um, into like the nightlife lifestyle um, that comes a lot with drag and, and drag. I mean, this is kind of the the you know, the whole thing is it, it's, it's part of a party atmosphere. It's usually raunchy, dirty, and, and it's an adult atmosphere that kids have no place in being at, but because they saw this person at a, at a library, um, they want to go see them perform. And so then that's what parents are like, Oh, well, they uh, let's go see their performance. I enjoy it. And that's why do wine moms want to take their kids to brunch to go see drag shows with them? I mean, why don't, why don't adults want to do things by themselves anymore without their kids? Like that seems like something that you should want to go do like that, but they want to like bring their kids into like their life, like out, you know, the adult lifestyle that they live. Mm -hmm. It's not really right. And what's interesting is where'd the clowns go? You know, like, Clowns used to read to kids and now it's drag queens. So right. I, I don't know, like replacing clowns with drag queens probably isn't the form of acceptance that you really think it is. You know? right. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like, I mean, even I even think, too, that like leave because when I was when I was younger, the the lady who read stories, you know, she's an older lady who would read, read stories at the library or um even I, I remember I was like in first grade or kindergarten at the time and they would have like second and third graders come and read to us uh, as like, you know, as a way for them to practice reading. But it it almost seems like, you know, again, it's a way to sort of break down like this sort of like comfortable family um, 
or even like in the postmodernist way, like like deconstructing everything. Like you don't need yeah. this particular thing. It, it you know, it, you don't need your family. It could be anyone. Anyone can be your family. And that's that's the vibe I get. And I don't know if it's if that's true. Maybe it's just me being overly paranoid. But again, I I, I want what I want from my kids is for them to understand, like, I don't know. I, and this is going to sound weird, but like, I don't mind the traditional values of, you know, mom and dad and close family and grandma and grandpa. And like, like having pu uh, putting my kids in front of drag queens just seems antithetical to how I was raised. And like, and it, it doesn't seem progressive. It seems regressive in pushing yeah. for strong family bonds. You know, I don't, it's not to say that drag queens can't be influential people or smart people or uh, amazing performers. It just seems like a space that kids should be left out of and not, yeah. you know, so that's kind of, I mean, and I, most of the stuff I approach, I approach as a dad because I'm learning, you know, I'm learning every single day, the ins and outs of parentage and, um, and how much I mess up. And it's, it's insane how many times I mess up every day with my kids, but you know, I try and progress forward and I look at all the stuff that's happening and how people push certain events on kids. And I think, I don't know, it, it's just not for me, but yeah. uh, it just, it doesn't well, seem good for society as a whole. No, you're right. And so like, when we look at that and it, it, it goes back to what we were talking about and what you even said too, it was like the deconstruction of the family values uh, because then you're seeing it in schools and everything like that. They're trying to basically tell children that they, have full autonomy and their parents don't know what they're talking about and they're trying to keep things from parents and and all this and that is eroding the family structure and you know transferring it over to the state so yeah you're absolutely right i don't mind traditional values at all either i think um it's interesting because i think most transsexuals just want to live in a traditionalist society but mm. not in the sex that they were born if that makes right. sense well, and now kind of going back, you know, walking everything back a little bit, um, like what is like your story? Where, where did it all start for you as far as beginning your, your transition? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my journey has been quite a long one now. I will say like, I knew something was different about me from like the moment I became self-aware. So I try to dress on when I was like four years old and always wondered, you know, always wanted to know what it was like to be a girl. Mm -hmm. Um, and that continued my whole life. Um, but, uh, I mean, puberty was one of the most confusing times in the world because, um, I am bisexual. So I was like interested in girls, but then I was also envious because I couldn't be one. Um, and I guess I, my homosexuality was more, um, I, I guess I was more like self-hating too, because the only time I would ever see myself with a man was as a woman. So I always wanted to be a girl with a boy. So um, it was, it was interesting. Um, and I kind of suppressed that again, I grew up through the nineties. So um, when it wasn't very open and popular and I graduated, I graduated college in 2010, I went into the army when you know, or I graduated in 09. So I, you know, we all know 09. I, so I went to the army. I was a logistics officer in the army for seven and a half years. I got married, did all this stuff. And I came out to my ex, um, in 2014 
And I'm glad I did. Honestly, I'm glad I came out when I did, told the first person when I did, because I don't know if I could come out in the way that everything is unfolding right now and just take it on this mantle because I was already out at that point. So I was like before the craze hit and I'm like, okay, well we got to deal with this. So um, if I came out now, it would just be like, Oh, you're just following this trend. And I, you know, it's right. not. Um, and real quick, and Chris, so, you, were you married, you were married to a woman at the time or yes. a man? Okay. I was married to a woman. Okay. Um, and so came out to her. And then I ended up getting out of the army and we, we, we separated in 2015. Um, so that was 2014, 2015, like a year and a half later, we ended up separating. I ended up getting out of the army in 2017. Um, but in, from 2015 to 2019, I guess is when I kind of started to really explore who I was and everything like that. And came out to my family and at the end of 2018 and I started hormones March of 2019. So um, it's been a long journey. And that's the thing is I, I always tell people like, you can't take this decision to transition lightly. Like I said, I start, I started even thinking about it. I started like exploring like at the end of 2015, 20, beginning of 2016. So it's like, it took me five years, four or five years to determine that this is what I was going to do. And now we're seeing children do it with one visit to a doctor like it doesn't make any sense it took me that long and i was you know 28 years old when i think i when i started to actually ex finally accept and explore who i was wow so how how did that how did your time in the was your time in the army affected at all was was it like i, I guess can, can you tell me a little bit more about your time in the army and how it related to your your uh, gender dysphoria I mean, it, it really didn't um, okay. because I, I again, I, I came out um, and this is one of the things that people always I do want to say that uh, me and my ex-wife are actually still friends. Um, she's been amazing. It was. And, and that's what a lot of times when people come out, it's like, you know, people want to say think that the person like forced transition on them which wasn't at all what that was for me. Obviously, I didn't transition for years later after I even separated, but I came up to her and thought I was just a cross-dresser at the time. So, huh. um, and she saw something else in me that I couldn't see in myself. So I think that she knew that this was going to happen before um, I did. And so she kind of set me free, I always say. So, she, but we're still friends. And, um, but yeah, I, so I was kind of hiding it while I was in the military. I was, I was, this is what was really interesting too. Cause I mentioned North Carolina earlier. I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, mm -hmm. my last two years. And so, so I moved to Fort Bragg at the beginning of 2016 and I was there for two years. And so I was there when everything started going down with the bathroom bills and stuff like that. But I would drive out to Charlotte, um, and, and explore and do all that. And then I would drive out to Atlanta every few weeks, like every, when we had time off and everything like that, just again, just started to do that, but it wasn't, it didn't really affect my service or anything like that. But I, I'd be lying if I say that I didn't see something in those two years that made me realize that I needed to get out because I really didn't want to transition while I was in the military. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and then I, and then I ended up tearing my, rotator cuff um jumping so um i i was really just done with the army at that point and okay. um decided to move to atlanta and and that's really 
what is like the next chapter in my life, you know, I've lived like two separate lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, would now I kind of, I kind of lost my train of thought, but I, um, what do you think is, I guess with everything that's been happening with, uh, with like the, the trans trans, um, individuals in the military, how is that sort of stuff? Where do you weigh in with that? Um, is it, should, should, um, trans individuals be allowed to be in, in the military or should we, is it something that we should avoid? You know, I think, um, I've always got, I've, I've always been somebody who says, if you can do your job, then I don't care, you know, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the way that the military is, has always kind of been set up as I know a lot of people that have never served or some people that have served and stuff like that have weighed in on this issue, but they just don't understand that it doesn't matter who you are. You should be able to serve. Now I get it. A lot of people don't realize that people take medications on deployments all the time. I mean, especially in the last, you know, what, 18 years, 20 years, um, when we were at, in perpetual state of war, we had a lot of soldiers taking PTSD medications because they went overseas. So you think not only are we giving soldiers PTSD that they got when they came in, but, um, you know, so how, when they, when people talk about, and then they got to take medication for it, but how do people talk about, you know, barring somebody for having, you know, gender dysphoria, mental illness, when you're keeping people, when you're creating mental illness and keeping those people that other, unless they have a severe PTSD issues, then you're going to keep them in the military. I, um, so I don't have an issue with that. I do. I understand where if you, if you, end up having like the surgery that um, that's a, it's a little bit different issue because from what I've heard, you go, you're on what we call a profile for a year. So you can't do PT, you can't do your job for a year. And as a former leader in the military, basically what that means is you're stuck in a unit. You can't deploy. That is a nightmare for any commander in the army because they can't replace you with somebody you're taking a spot from somebody else that is deployable. So those like profiles and stuff like that are very different. Um, and so it's hard for me to say that you should be allowed to get the surgery while you're in the military. Um, and I don't think I would trust those doctors anyways, but that's just me. Um, I know a lot of people that have had different surgeries. Actually, I have a couple friends that are, um, in the currently serving in the military that have transitioned and they've had surgeries and stuff like that. And I know a lot of people are against like the taxpayers funding surgeries, which I get it. I get, you don't want taxpayer dollars to go towards that. But again, what people don't realize is that like spouses can get like breast augmentation. Actually soldiers can get like breast augmentations that they say they feel bad about their bodies and stuff too. Um, really? Because what happened, yeah. So what happens, um, a lot of surgeons, so surgeons, for example, they have to keep up their OR or their operating hours. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they can schedule plastic surgery to get those operating hours. Otherwise they fall out of, um, what is it? Um, like, I guess regulations to where you, you know, you don't have enough hours so you could like, you know, you would have to go do more or time with somebody else like have to go okay. back into that space so a lot of times they they do that just to keep like practice up and a lot of times they'll do plastic surgeries like that because when a soldier is um it, when a soldier has been you know harmed overseas like something happens 
maybe they've been burned on their face or something. They have to, they, they get plastic surgery. So they still have to know how to do plastic surgeries and stuff too. So this is a way for them to keep up those hours. Okay. Uh, so it just puts a different perspective in there. So if you're against one, at least know the full extent to it and understand that it's not just trans people that are having like plastic surgery while they're in the military. <laughs> right. Well, I, I wonder too, I mean, it's it, one of the things I think about is if, it just seems again completely out of ignorance it seems like such a traumatic thing to 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 deal with um you know inside your own head like there's i've had bouts of depression but i don't i've never experienced it in a ways that many people have uh mm -hmm. and i'm i'm very thankful for that and if there's one privilege i have been uh, bestowed with is um i i is that i've not experienced like suicidal thoughts um, or anything like that. I've, I'm very blessed to to be able to sort of pick myself up out of depression. But I wonder, like, is is it? I, I think the argument a lot of times is that we are, I guess, weakening our military strength by allowing transgender individuals to to be a part of the military. Not necessarily. It could be pre-op mm -hmm. or post-op because they they yeah. might not be able to. It's already hard enough for people to to deal with the, the the trauma that is involved with the military, especially in wartime. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as someone who has not been in the military, but yeah, as again, this is what no, I, I hear. Um, so I wonder like, is, is it something to worry about it? Like if, if like, I'm not, I, I, I'll be clear for those who want to clip me out of context. <laughs> I want anyone who wants to serve to serve. If you have a passion to protect this nation, I think it's important to do that. But are again, I guess, are we weakening the military by allowing someone with such um, mental deficits, you know, in, in one area or another to to fight on the front lines or or be an officer in the military? No, I, I don't think so. Um, and and one of the biggest reasons that I would say that is because what people, most people don't realize throughout the history of, of our country. Um, I don't know about throughout our whole history, but. For the vast, like when I started looking into things, actually, what people don't realize is a lot of there's a higher percentage of the population serve, that served in the military that is trans throughout our history um, than there is in the general population. So, what's you know, and so I mean, because until recently, when they were allowed to surf openly, a lot of people would get out and then transition after they got out, just like I did. So when it wasn't accepted, it wasn't allowed. That's how we know that there's always been a high population of trans soldiers. Um, okay. The other thing, too, is and, and one of the reasons why I kind of think that has been is because um, almost like what you said. I've never once been suicidal in my life either um but there were points where i didn't care about my life as much as i could have it made it easy to go do my job because i wasn't worried about dying mm -hmm. um in a, in a lot of ways right so I, I don't know if that's if that should be the case um you know you're i don't think that um but i i, I, I never wanted to die so i i think that it just depends on the person um, and there should, I mean, no matter who you are, we have a big issue with SSRI use in this country right now, because there's a high, there is a high, I mean, we have, we're in a, the middle of a mental health 
um, decay in this country. It's 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 bad, and so. I think we need to worry about what's causing those things and then not barring people who would do a great job in the military simply because they have, you know, a, um, you know, a, a mental illness that may or may not be supported. Like I said, I mean, I'm still lucky that I've never had suicidal ideations because I'm part of probably the two highest groups. Like when I started to come out, people started to like worry about that with me because they're like, wait, you're trans and what 40% of trans people have um, suicidal ideations. Um, and then at least what, how many soldiers commit suicide every year. So that started to people were like, Oh my gosh, like thought that I was, the, you know, they would think that I'm this high risk person when I'm not. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it just goes back to the individual um, and how resilient that person is. I would say sometimes, you know, living in the way the life that I live now makes me even more resilient than most of the population anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when, after the military, when did you start getting, you seem to sort of rise into a bit of prominence with, within the content creation community where, yeah. when did that start? When did that start ramping up for you? When did you become vocal about all of this? Yeah. So, well, it was interesting. So I, when I got out, I, was a warehouse manager for a company out here just doing, you know, in, in the corporate America. And I had started my Twitter account actually in 2018, um, before I even started transitioning. And that's when I started again, when I started seeing, and it was around 2016 to 2018, when you started to really kind of see trans trenders starting to come up. That's when the term was kind of coined because it's when it really started to become popular. Because again, I I don't believe that it, I don't, I call it the slippery slope fallacy because I don't necessarily think it's, this was what caused it. But in 2016, it was, you know, gay, um, gay marriage was legal, or 2015 gay marriage was legalized. In 2016, Charlotte passed the bathroom bill, the self, the full self ID bathroom bill. And then um, the state of North Carolina went the other way. That's kind of what started the activism. And once you start the activism, you need soldiers. So when you need those soldiers, trans trending became a thing and it became and when you start talking about bathroom stuff it starts to again put bugs in people's ears to be like hey maybe this is actually who i am maybe this is what's the the cause to all my issues and so that became the trendy that's when it became the trend um and so at that point when i was kicked out of a reddit group in probably 2019 no, actually i think at the end of 2018 for saying that trans trenders are real and that when the detransition rate skyrockets, um, it's going to hurt actual trans people. And I got banned from these trans Reddit groups for saying that. Um, I knew that this was going to be an issue. Um, and so I had made some friends. Actually, um, Ariel Scarcella became a pretty good friend of mine. And she asked me to do a video for her uh, channel. And... I said, yes, of course. And I asked her, I said, Hey, I've been thinking about doing a YouTube channel. You think I should start one? And she said, absolutely. I mean, that's, she's like, yeah, absolutely. You should. Um, I also saw a Blair white video where she met Caitlyn Jenner and Caitlyn told her to do what scares you. I hated being on camera. I, I didn't like my voice. I, I was always worried about my voice and stuff like that. And so that is what scared me. I can, I can give speeches and stand in front of soldiers all day long, but you know, being on camera is what used to scare me. And so mm -hmm. I, I, 
I did what scared me. And after about three videos, I just got used to everything. So it's kind of been from there. So starting in 2020, um, but I'll tell you, I mean, I really, I just kind of coasted along for a long time. Um, it wasn't until really the Dave Chappelle special a couple of years ago that I did a video uh, reacting to that special. I said it was a trans woman's reacts videos to the Dave Chappelle special. Mm-hmm. And that video hit 200,000 views on YouTube. And that was the first big hit that was like out there, you know? Um, and then even last year, I maybe had 4,000 followers on Twitter. Um, and then this last year I started, I have met so many different people doing like gays against groomer stuff. I was working with outspoken USA this last year. Um, and those types of things got me connected with, um, no left turn education. I have also talked to a lot of the moms from, uh, moms for Liberty. And so I've actually, I did an event with Nicole Solace in Rhode Island with, um, the independent women's network. And so I, that kind of connected me into there and I got into more public speaking stuff. And so, yeah, within the last six months, I went from 4,000 to over almost 16,000 on, on Twitter. So it's really within the last year, things have really been coming together. It took, took about three years for everything to finally start coming together and start doing this. Um, and then, yeah, writing for the post-millennial stuff, I was um, I was freelancing. So I, I think I did my first op-ed last year and I was just kind of freelancing work for Libby. And um, I've known Libby for about a year or so now. And um, she become a good friend she's become a friend of mine and so i was working for i've done some stuff behind the scenes for um hannah cox and brad palumbo i've also was working on the reality's last reality's last stand Substack with colin wright um i was i was his assistant editor for a little bit and then um moving from there i approached libby because i was looking for some work and the weekend editor position had just opened or the weekend writer position had just opened. And so that I jumped on that and have been working there since April, I think Um, I'm working right now. I'm working three days a week over there and um, it's, it's, it's great. In a spot on Timcast, that's no small feat. That's a, that's yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) two spots. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so, well, yeah, I mean, I got on and then, yeah, that was what was interesting too. Like I had gotten on Timcast in February and that just worked out perfectly because I was trying to get up to DC at the time because um, the Libertarian Party was doing their anti-war rally at the Capitol mm-hmm. on that Sunday. And so I was able to get on Timcast on Thursday. Um, and then I ended up meeting up with Matt Kibbe and his wife and did Matt's show for the Blaze that weekend too. Um, so Kibbe like on Matt. Liberty uh amazing people love them i just saw them a couple weeks ago over at freedom fest love hanging out with them uh we hung out with them all night it was amazing and then yeah did the anti-war rally spoke in front of the white house and it was fun i met ron paul my hero and so it's it's been it's been a wild year i think you know (laughs) no that's that's really cool um i you mentioned um meeting blair white and and you you didn't meet Caitlyn Jenner, but Blair no. met Caitlyn Jenner. What, so what Blair you, met Caitlyn, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about, this is a question that, I, I, well, maybe it's not asked a lot, but it, it's come up in a few discussions I've had with people. Caitlyn Jenner winning Woman of the Year. How, did, did that seem like, does that seem like a slap in the face to women? Or is it, it was it a necessary 
part to this whole thing? Was it was it bound to happen um, eventually? That was kind of the biggest. It it was the start of so much of this. Um, and I'll tell you what I think about it too. Is I have been very vocal within the last six months, at least, you know, as Caitlyn Jenner has started to speak out against, you know, women in sport, like trans women in sports and everything like that. I've basically taken the stance that if Caitlyn Jenner really wants people to take her seriously as an activist in this fight, that she will give that award back. She will denounce it because you can't, I can't take you seriously if you're still holding onto a, a woman of the year award and where you basically were the star of gender ideology becoming mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. um, if she did that, I think that she would have a lot more people um, come out to support her. But I think that's a bit, that's a huge sticking point with me right now when it comes to earning a lot of respect from people because Caitlin has this history. And if you really want to be like you're reformed and you're actually fighting for the good of women, you got it. The one thing that you did that really harmed women was take that award. So yeah, I think, you, I think she has to give it back. Well, it, it kind of relates to a couple of things in the articles I read. Um, it's almost like the, these, the sunk cost of fallacy, like he's invested or she has invested so much into the, you know, into being a woman that she couldn't like oh, turning it down now would, would be like very embarrassing for her. So it's almost as she has to keep doing that. Um, and, and that's not exactly what that relates to. I, I really yeah. like that article that you wrote um, about how the sunk cost fallacy has, has taken people who are just maybe playing with their identity and extrapolated it into this, like this huge, um, you know, I mean, these very expensive surgeries, painful surgeries that are irreversible. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, breast augmentation. I mean, yes, you could get the 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 double mastectomy and, and get breast, but it's never the same. You know, it's it yeah. like it's it, never the same, and it's it's a painful process. Uh, but I also think too. Um, I, was, I was trying to find the the part here, but um, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to derail too much. But yeah, I just I just thought. Caitlyn Jenner doing that. And I agree, like maybe giving up that award and saying, Hey, you know, at the time this seemed like the right thing to do, but you know, I, I think a woman deserves this, this award. And, and again, this is where the, the semantics of the whole thing are, are kind of annoying when you, when you watch it all like from afar, because like, I'm, I am not, and I don't know many people who would be disrespectful and, and wouldn't call you a, a woman, you know, yeah. you know Miss, Miss Sarah Hidgen, you know, like we wouldn't, wouldn't be intentionally misgendering you like you obviously know that you were born a man um, yeah. and Caitlin uh, knows that as well. There's a huge history in the Olympics and understands how powerful the male body can be versus the woman's body. Like, but it's, it's like people intentionally misrepresent the argument and not like, no, we, like, I'll, I'll call you, you know, a woman that's yeah. fine. Cause you present as a woman, but there, there are biological realities that we we can't necessarily ignore, especially when it comes to competitive athletics. Like, I mean, people, oh yeah, people's whole life, you know, they train against other women, against their other sex, and then all of a sudden, because it, you know they're not competing at a high enough level or whatever. Like again, uh, what's her name? Leah Leah Thomas. Leah you know, Thomas, yeah. One of the perfect examples, like you know, underperforming as a male, but goes out and wins, you know. Uh, the women's NCAA uh, championship. Like, yeah, Leah's the prime example of this too. 
Uh, I mean, the, the prime example to show how you never lose your advantage taking um, HRT because uh, all you have to do is look at the stats. So the average elite swimmer, the difference between male and female is 11% uh, difference between the, the, the elite swimmers. Leah Thomas only lost 2.3% of her, her performance. And so that to me, that, that explains why she went from 500, almost 500 to number one. There's nothing else you can do right there. Yeah. But I, I'm, that's one of the, that's, an, this is an area where I am very vocal, especially when it comes to this stuff is female, is female sports, because I mean, we have title nine. I mean, if you, if you start allowing males to take scholarships away from, um, from females, then it's a complete erasure of type of what title nine was even intended for in the first place there was supposed to be equal among the sexes right so it's supposed to give like in college you get equal they have to have equal scholarships to females as they do to men so it's it, it just it's a slap in the face like you said before and it's like um and so i don't know if you've seen my journey of what i'm doing now <laughs> i am so i started this about eight weeks ago i have set out to again somebody that's been on hormones since 2019 coming up on five four four or five years um i have started eight weeks ago to break the raw female squat record <laughs> oh i did see some some pictures yes or videos yes yeah so i am going out i've never done squats like competitively or even ever really done them i was actually one of these people that you know as growing up i skipped leg day all the time but i was <laughs> in the army and it was used to carrying heavy loads on my legs but i've never just lift them for power i was i was able to carry you know rucksack and everything like that for 12 miles in three hours when I went to aerosol school and carrying everything at airborne school and jumping and everything like that. So I have strong legs, but I've never done it like this before. And I'm beat up. I mean, my, my back hurts. I tore, pulled my hamstring and I'm a little bit older. So I'm like, my body's older than I am, you know, but, um, I decided that I was, this is something that only, only I could do probably. I think that this is something that only I can do. And I'm giving myself maybe a year and I'm going to break the squat record and just show like even somebody who's never trained this in their lives came out within a year and broke the world record. Like that should show you that you just never get rid of the biological advantage that you, that you gain by going through male puberty. What is the world record it's a, for female squats then? So for my weight and my age, it's 285 pounds. And that's, that's the raw squat record. So, which means that you don't have the aid of like, you can use a, 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 a belt, but it can't be like the giant thick belts that give you like all this advantage. You can't use like the knee wraps that give you like tremendous, like power in the legs and like where the singlets that give you extra oomph to get, the, get stuff up either. Yeah. Um, it's literally just a small belt and you can use like the knee knee supports but they can't be like the the ones that are designed to help you push um and so yeah it's 285 pounds i did a full squat of 185 last week so or on monday so i mean i'm halfway there you know i mean i was not i was a couple weeks ago i had lifted up 
235 pounds just to see how heavy it was. And it felt heavy. And now I'm doing quarter inch squats with it or quarter squats, quarter uh, squats with it. And, and so it's, it's, it's getting there. I lifted up, I lifted 295 off the rack just to see how heavy it was a couple of days ago. And I mean, it's heavy, but well, progressive progressive weight training will, will get you there relatively fast. Um, oh, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're going up about five, five pounds a week, you know, if you're doing it three times a week, you could go up five pounds yeah. a week and it won't take you that long. And sometimes you can make bigger jumps depending yep. on, on how you're feeling. And, you know, and I, yeah. I do wonder that I do wonder if, um, you know, I know, I know that there's women that are stronger than men, but like, that's not like the, the outlier cases. I'm not necessarily worried about yeah. it's the, it's like overall, you know, like there was that, was it that Australian boys soccer team that they were 15 <laughs> years old and they beat the professional, yeah. the, the women's team. Like that's yeah. when you start looking at that, like that skill gap and how fast they are and how much, you know, how much oxygen the muscles are absorbing, you know, again, across like the broad spectrum, the over average of everything, not, you know, again, the outlier cases don't really mean much to me because sure. You can always find someone who's a little stronger, but the vast majorities of teenage boys are outperforming women, uh, adult women, like, you know, it's something that yeah. we should really look at as a, as being an unfair, uh, advantage. Uh, and again, I, I think there's, I think, I think that we could get to a place where there's caveats for certain things. Like if you've, maybe if you've been on hormones for five years and you've, um, and, and I, I don't know, I don't know what it would be, but there, there, there yeah. might be a time that, that would be able to happen. Maybe not. Maybe there'll be enough studies to show that men just even, even with years of hormone replacement therapy still have a, an advantage over women. And we can't, yeah. you know, you don't want to, you don't want to become the, the meme that, you know, men are just better women than everything, even being women, you know, like that's not, I don't think that's where anyone wants to be, you know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't see anywhere where you could have that caveat, which I, again, it's like why I said, I'm like, the perfect person to do this because yeah, you're right. There's outlier cases of people who, um, you know, females that are, could be men because not all men are athletes. I mean, so, uh, yeah, an elite woman could, I mean, honestly, an elite woman could, uh, swimmer could go and beat 90% of, you know, men that are not like swimmers. Right. So they're going to yeah. go out there and beat them because they train for this and they know stroke and everything like that. And actually what's interesting about swimming is long distance swimming, like channel swimming, like when they do like the channel swimmings, like and stuff like that, women, that's the only sport that women actually tend to perform better than men because they float better. Okay. Interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. But short term, I mean that, but it has to be like over miles and miles and miles and miles, because that's the only way that that even comes into play because in a short distance, you're not even worrying about buoyancy. Right. Um, but yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be the outliers, like you said, like, you know, and, and the outliers don't necessarily like, it's so funny when I see somebody be like, Oh, you're a woman, you could beat me in a sport. You know, but if you come up against somebody like me who's been an athlete my whole life, it's gonna be very, very difficult. You know, um, it. You know, if I train for a little bit, I'm gonna be able to do it, and I think that's why, like I said, I think I'm the perfect person to prove this because, I mean, the IOC, like the the rules used to be that after one year on hormones, they used to say that the advantage was gone, but 
it, now the studies are coming out to show that you never erase that advantage. Um, and so like when I've, yeah, I've been on hormones five years, I see a huge performance loss um, in, in certain areas that I do stuff, but it's not enough to say that, you know, if I don't train at this one thing, I, you know, I won't, I won't, you know, outperform even the elite. So I think breaking this record will be a huge, huge thing. It'll be a huge deal. And I'm just waiting for Elon to give me my subscription so I can start like posting the subscribers about all this stuff every week because I have all these videos that I want to show. And I'm like, hey, I'm doing this thing that could make me, you know, I could actually help fund it a little bit because by doing it behind subscription. So it could be good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I just don't see a, a time where, males should be competing with females and and a lot of people would even say like there's reasons why we have male and female not just sports but like everything like typically they say that men are better like males are better at like poker and and and, and different like even card games and stuff like that and it's because men become like will take more risks than women so psychologically there's a huge difference that places women at a disadvantage and stuff like this as well so you, you can i used to think like you know um that there were certain things like bocce ball or something like that where you know you could have you know equal equal competitive stuff and a lot of stuff we do like co-ed sports and stuff like that but right. um if it's if it's anything um that anyways but I just don't see it being, um, you know, anything really that we could do. And I used to also put the caveat in there to say, if you never went through male puberty, kind of stop saying that because I'm like, if you've never went, if you, if, if I'm saying that, then it's kind of advocating for children to transition, which I don't, I don't advocate for at all. So I'm not even going to say that. I'm just going to say males don't belong in female sports, period. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that, like, do you think that kids are being like targeted as, as like to, to bring this gender ideology to them? You know, I hear often that, that in like these books, like certain books, like gender queer, uh, in other books that moms for Liberty have been fighting to take out of schools, they're just, they're not present. There are, you know, they're not, they're not mandatory, but they're in the library. What do you have to say with stuff like that? Like it, like, do you think that kids are actively being targeted and um, like, how do you respond to people who are thinking like, well, th it's not required reading, but it is there for them in case they want, in case they want to read it. Well, I mean, why wouldn't we put a Playboy in the, in the library then either, right? I think that's the, that's the whole thing. Like if it's accessible, kids are going to read it. And actually if it's in the curriculum, at least you know your child's going to read it and you and you know and you can do that if it's just in the library their friend could get the book and then they get to go look in they could go read it and it could be completely under your nose like you wouldn't even know that it's taking place so no i think you know in a lot of these books like there was even the public library in like louisiana i helped you know i was fighting against one of these things out there and it was like um they were just trying to get the books moved to the adult section they weren't trying to remove them from the from the library. They were just trying to get them removed. So if like a parent wants to give them to their child, then that's up to them. That's up to the parent's discretion. But it it shouldn't. A lot of these books should not be completely accessible to kids in a library. I I just don't think so. And I I, I do think that kids are, in a lot of ways, I think there's a lot of stuff happening. I think that uh, 
there's a lot of different people that play roles in what's going on. I think that there are people who are out there specifically targeting children to push their ideology and they want to make this. I mean, that's what you see with the TikTok teachers and stuff like that. Um, you see the governor of um, Governor Pritzker of Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Illinois. Um, you can just see how his whole operation is to indoctrinate children with this stuff. So it's like um, with him, he's the governor. Um, he donated millions of dollars to the Lori's Children's Hospital in Chicago um, to fund their gender clinic, to start their gender clinic around 2012. And then that gender, then he implemented um, his, um, was a Department of Education implemented a comprehensive sex education that goes all the way down to kindergarten to where the Lori's Children's Hospital is giving these materials and giving like sex toys and stuff to the kids for um, th this comprehensive sex education. So when I'm talking about people targeting, it's people like that, that are targeting, like they're making money off of this in some shape or form. Um, I think doctors, I mean, we saw it in, um, the Vanderbilt hospital with that video that Matt Walsh released a few, a uh, few months ago, that was like, this is a big money maker. They were just, it was all about money and all this. It wasn't about the actual good of the children. Um, I think that there are some people who are out there. They know that the, the it's a high propensity of the kids to have autism who are transitioning um, right now, and they're not really screening for it. And so, um, I think that there's some eugenics at play there. I think that people are actually actively, you know, they may, like you said, it's regressive. They are transitioning autistic kids and sterilizing them. Um, and which is a form of eugenics. Um, and then I think there's, there's, you know, I, I call, we call them the, the trans housing mommies, which is like Munchausen by proxy. They get woke <laughs> points for being uh, it's and it's usually the upper middle class white progressive woman who um, or man who is, you know, transitioning their child is so proud of their trans child that is kind of pushing this on them because they're a woke activists and they get, you know, points for this. And so they kind of push it on them. You have teachers who they don't realize they're doing it. And then this is the last one, I guess, is like the person that thinks that they're doing what's right for the for the child, like they have kind of bought into the narrative. And so they've got their emotions have been played on so much that they don't necessarily um, know what to do. And so they've bought into this narrative of, you know, you can have a, you know, you have to affirm them, affirm, affirm, or else they're going to commit suicide. Like you, even mm. though that before this became a craze, there's been trans people all over, you know, and we've never affirmed and it hasn't really been the case, you know? <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's just kind of this new thing that they're kind of, and that, that creates a self-fulfilling prof prophecy when you're telling kids that they're going to kill themselves if they don't, or unalive themselves if they don't. Um, right. Um, if they don't transition, you're like, you're putting ideas into these kids' heads. There was a teacher in Louisiana when they were, do when they were, um, when they were um, testifying on a bill that would have, that would require parents to um, sign off on a child's like name change and gender marker change and, or pronouns change at their school. So the parents had to actually had to approve of it before they did it um, on that bill. And 
what the teacher said, well, I, so I can't have this. It was basically like a don't say gay bill. So I was like, I can't discuss this with my children. Like when I talked to, when one of my kids asked me about my gender identity and I told them, you know, I'm not binary. And then am I supposed to tell the five kids that came up to me after that to, that came out to me after that, that I can't talk to them about that. I'm like, what you don't realize is you just put that idea into their head. They didn't know about this. You literally just told them what will make you accept them. You know, you just gave them this, this thing so that they can come and, okay, well, maybe this is what is going on. So you're, when you implant ideas, and I don't think a lot of people realize that stuff either. And like I said, I think, I think there's just a lot of people who, and I, I feel for any parent who is going for this right now too, because parents are being manipulated left and right by doctors, politicians, activists, everybody out there. Um, and so they're kind of put in this tough position as to what do you do? Um, and I don't know if you saw Chloe Cole a couple weeks ago testifying when she actually addressed the mom that was at the table who's, and she said, you remind me of my parents and I just don't want your child to go through what I went through. Um, but well, and, and sometimes Chloe, you just don't know. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Chloe is, is, is one Chloe Cole is, is one that, uh, only had a few appointments with her therapist and basically the therapist said to her, her, because her parents were, it sounded like we're willing to push back on, you know, on everything that was going on. And, and the doctor essentially said, well, you could have a, a, yeah. an alive daughter or you could, or a son, or you could have an alive trans daughter or whatever. And I just yeah. thought, and those are the things that like, there, there's a lot that uh, about this whole thing again as a parent that I'm I'm very aware of now and also I try and keep an eye on because kids are very impressionable and they and I know that what we're we're teaching kids like what to think nowadays not necessarily how to navigate things in in difficult ways like yeah. again just even the whole like well we'll just affirm who you are it's like well that's not how it works like in order to grow your mind, you need to understand, like, sometimes you have to do the wrong things or be the wrong thing and work through problems. Um, and, and it's not even, it, it almost sounds cold hearted, but some people won't make it through. That doesn't mean I want anyone to disappear off this planet. I want everyone to love and thrive and be who they want to be. It's, it's not a real ex realistic expectation that everyone will make it out of this alive. Right. Which yeah. sounds bad. But it's not, what I mean is, is we need a way to give kids hurdles, not move hurdles out of the way. Um, life is is about balancing what you know and what you don't and, uh, and getting stronger, overcoming your fears, overcoming your uh, insecurities, all of that. It's all part of growing up. It's part yep. of puberty, um, especially puberty. And when you don't get a chance to go through that, you're you're leaving people very, very vulnerable later on in their life. And it, and it makes me think, well, we just don't have, we've never really in the past, what, 40, 50 years, we haven't really had anything to fight for anymore. Like the, the wars yeah. are over really. Um, you know, the world wars are pretty much done. There's nothing really threatening our security anymore. So we have ways of inventing issues for each other um, and something that should be, probably years in the making when it comes to transitioning is now like an overnight, like oh, I'm just going to Uber that or not Uber, but like a uh, DoorDash, you know, my new gender, <laughs> because I'm just not happy with, with this, you know? And, yeah. and sometimes 
it's just a phase. And I think oh, who's, I can't, I always forget her name. Um, she's done a lot of work with detransitioners. Um, I can't think of her name right now, but you know, a lot of this is we've seen has just been phases. Like, you know, it might be uh, a boy or girl who's, who's just trying to experiment, doesn't really know, but eventually kind of comes back around. And once they see the full extent of these choices, right? Like they make drastic changes the way Chloe did. And then yeah. all of a sudden realizes, no, this is not really who I am. And I should have taken more time with it, but in, in, but we can't talk about that. Now it seemed to be one of her main messages was that we can't even have these conversations and, and inform people who want possible gender reassignment surgery um, to know this is what could happen. This, this is yeah. a, this is the possible road or this is the road to recovery. I think, um, sorry to ramble on. Um, oh. Uh, Kaiser Permanente put out a, a pamphlet of of um, vaginoplasty and and what it what it uh, entails as far as the recovery goes. Um, I mean, like six to eight months of like physical recovery, and then uh, a lifetime of medication just to keep up the dilation and and all that. And it's yeah. it's it's wild that you know, it's wild to see that people are pushing that kind of surgery for people to do without fully understanding the extent of it. I mean, I'm glad that that pamphlet exists, but it's horrifying to think that kids might be making that decision or young adults might be making that decision willy nilly. Yeah. I think that there's a lot that happens too. Like you said, I mean, unfortunately, well, it is, it is a situation of, you know, more money, more problems, because yeah. when we don't have, when you don't have problems, you, you invent them. And that's kind of what's going on. It, it, when Matt Walsh went to Africa and what is a woman documentary it kind of showed that like, they don't have these same worries because they're out there just trying to survive and live every day. Right. Um, and we don't have that. We're such a well-developed nation where we've always been given, you know, and that's part of the other issue is my generation. We've kind of been given everything. Um, we are yeah. kind of the last generation and we moved on and we want to just give our kids stuff. We want our kids to be validated for everything that they do. We'd never, you know, we were the first generation of like the helicopter parents, you know, and it's like when you're, when you coddle your children so much, you just want them to always be okay. And then you teach them that society will do that. And remember, I remember kids have always kind of felt this way growing up and everybody would say, you know, just wait till you get to the real world. It's not going to be like that. Well, unfortunately this generation the the real world has started to coddle to them and that's that's the issue that happens and people need to realize that you you can only control your own emotions you in in your own behaviors you can't control what other people do how other people feel about you i think that if we could learn to do that we could learn to accept each other now like with like chloe and and stuff like that i mean i i love chloe to death um me and her have done multiple events together. We're, we're good friends. And so um, I will tell you one story that is just a lot of kids just don't aren't hearing the other side. I think that's part of the issue is a lot of kids aren't hearing the other side. Like you said, we're, we're rushing kids into stuff. And it's like, um, so when they go to the doctor, the doctor starts rushing them through this stuff because they're getting paid to do this and, and all this other stuff. Like when, but when you tell them the other side, tell them they should wait, tell, like, tell them this stuff, they need to, 
they they start to think about it um, when they get the pushback. Um, so, for example, we and Chloe did an event in January in Wisconsin, um, and it was uh, with Jeanette Cooper from. Um, I forget what her organization is off the top of my head, but we did this event and Jeanette is in a custody battle for her child um, as well, who transitioned and it's been a big issue. And so the organizer of it texted me after we had done it and somebody was in the audience whose child was questioning their gender and he brought them to hear us speak and speak about this issue on the way home. She said, you know what? The speakers were right. I'm going to wait. And so that's the type of work that happens when you get the other side and you hear the stories. It's not this doom and gloom. Because when you tell a child or tell parents that um, they can either have a, a dead child or a trans child, um, you're giving them one option. And you're not telling them the full story of what it could be. And when I when people ask me, well, what about the one you know, the, the 0.01% of the population that is trans. I said, well, you don't harm the nine to save the one, right? You don't, right. you don't like make everybody trans. And then just in, just in order to save one, because then you're going to have other issues down the road. And so that one, get them to a therapist, a good therapist, not one of these gender therapists that pushes it. Cause that's the other issue that I have right now too, is I think that, I think we just, I think a lot of our mental health professionals are either just lazy um, because not only, not only pushing gender, like they're just like throwing pills at, at instead of talking to their patients and actually diagnosing them and actually helping them through their issues, they're throwing SSRIs or gender transitions at them. Right. So I think yeah. that there's a lot of issues with that in our, in our, in our mental health professions. Um, so take them to a good therapist. That's actually going to question them, push back and make them, you know, get them, if if they if they are trans, if they really do suffer from gender dysphoria and they really would benefit, get them to a point to when they are an adult and they can actually do this. Because honestly, my personal opinion, if you are suicidal, then I don't think that you are mentally prepared to transition because it's not an easy thing to go through. Like I think people think like, oh, I'm gonna take these medications and it's gonna be this this fix. It's not. I mean, you're always going to worry about, are you getting clocked? Is somebody going to clock you? you? There's different things that you're always going to have to worry about. And society is just never going to change enough to be like, you know, so accepting of everybody that, um, that, that you just can't, you won't worry about this stuff or you'll ever have to, you know, and then you go through all these surgeries and all this stuff. You can't, you know, you sterilize yourself, you do all this other stuff. It's not an easy thing to do. And, I mean, I just don't think kids are ready to make that choice. So you, we, we can work with mental health agencies to get them to an age into a mental state where they, where they can cognitively consent to those decisions. You know, we have rules. We have ages of adulthood. Some people think it should be 25, everything like that. But I think whatever our age of adulthood is, set it there, get them to adulthood and then they can make the decisions for themselves. You know, um, it's interesting to me when we were trying to pass a bill here in Georgia that they, um, the state of Georgia, you can't get in some states, you can get tattoos with parental permission under the age of 18. 
Um, the state of Georgia, you can't. And yet they're still trying to fight against life-altering elective surgeries for minors here. You know, but I mean, we yeah. passed it and so it works, but it's still... I, 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 I'll tell you one of my fears, though, with a lot of these bills is that they designated it to gender dysphoria. So I'm afraid that some of them are going to have a, um, they're going to, we're going to see a lot of challenges to these bills on 14th amendment, equal rights protection or equal, equal protection, yeah, equal rights, law, equal protection clause, because a 16 year old female can get breast implants, but a 16 year old boy can't. And I think that is where they're going to have an, where we're going to see an issue in the courts. Supreme Court, they make the final decision right now. I don't know. They've been very, just very by the book on, on everything, even when it doesn't go to conservatives way. So we'll see what happens there. <laughs> There's, yeah, it's certainly, that's, and that's why I think to some extent, a lot of this is, is, is a problem that, that, politicians want to exist for a long time because it allows them to sort of transfer power between themselves when they need more votes, more voters, um, or they need to pass some sort of self-serving legislation. And th again, it, there's, I, yeah, yeah. And like, there's, there's, um, I think the bigger crisis that we're facing is, is or the, the American healthcare system is, is just a, a total mess. Um, yeah, wall to wall, and I I think there's less less focus on on that and getting people the help they need, especially especially vets. Like I mean, I hear all the time that the VA is just an absolute disaster, and it's like one it's of the garbage. best cases against. Yeah, and it's one of the it's best um, <laughs> one of the best cases against um, like socialized healthcare or you know in the government run healthcare because they just they they've already failed at it and. Um, to, to put it on an even bigger scale would just be like, it could be devastating. You know, it might not be, but yeah. I, you know, again, we kind of learn from what we see in, in history in general. Um, no, you're right. Actually, when you look at, all you have to do is even look at like, uh, the UK and other areas where gender medicine is a prime example with this. So like the UK, um, they have, um, they they've had wait they have long waiting lists to even get seen by a doctor for gender medicine because mm -hmm. so many trenders jumped in to get you know all this stuff and so it caused an influx of people getting referred which means that they now have waiting lists so those that are actually suffering from dysphoria are not getting treated the way that they should so if you really look at it that way like what are you helping right. and yeah va medicine i I haven't I mean, even changed my name in the VA system because I'm afraid that it's going to cause an issue with my disability payments. Oh, I, I bet it would. Um, I was even talking with a, a friend um, who's also uh, a trans woman said that um, one, one of the issues too, with a lot of stuff happening is like with, even with the don't say gay bill um, is, or, you know, quote unquote, don't say gay yeah. bill was that it was actually interrupting um, or not, not the don't say gay bill. I'm sorry. It, it was some other legislation in Florida um, about gender affirming care, uh, but it was blocking adults from getting the the hormones that they were already on because they weren't it wasn't properly distinguishing between like um, adults and minors. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, it's one of those things where politicians use it for political points and to try and be anti woke or whatever, and not not understanding like 
well, now these nurses or now these doctors aren't giving the proper medication to the, to the people who have already been on it for years as yeah. an adult. Um, and that's where I think this is just, it, it probably will go on for a long time because, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to wrangle power from those who, who enjoy it so much, you know, benefit. No, you're life. absolutely right. Well, and, and even, even, well, when you talk about like, uh, med medical stuff, um, like the one study that they have that shows that children transitioning is beneficial and it reduces suicidality is like the worst study in the world. Like it, it's, it's a survey and most people don't realize like survey studies, they're not accurate, like at all. They surveyed adults and, and adults are saying that, yes, like basically saying, yes, I regret not transitioning when I was younger. So it would have helped. Like that is what they, that that's the study that they're going off of. And, and there, it's extremely flawed because of the way that questions are written and everything like that. It's not a proper way to do a study yet. This is the study that everybody quotes when they do it. And so yeah. you're right. Politicians use this study. And this is, this is one of the studies that, um, they quoted in Nevada when the governor vetoed the legislation in Nevada. So when I mentioned Nevada, Republican governor vetoes legislation that would have banned all these, that would have banned this stuff basically so that the Democrats would fund his baseball stadium in Vegas. Yeah. You know, like that's, right. that's, that's exactly what happens with politicians and stuff. And they're not careful enough, like you said, with the language. And that's what I, I, I'm concerned. I mean, I, I know a lot of these politicians, like I've been kind of doing some lobbying across different States and at least consulting with legislators. Um, I was actually very active here in Georgia. I spent multiple days at the Capitol meeting with politicians, meeting with our head of health and human services department, which is really interesting when you see like the, even the Republicans who have doctorates or who are former doctors. Yeah. Pushing like, you can tell that they're in the pocket of big pharma because, or their big pharma's in their pocket because had a politician argue again, that saying, telling me that, um, puberty blockers are not, uh, or are fully reversible Republican. And you realize, um, and I was arguing with him in his office and I'm like this, but you realize it was a doc, he's, he's a doctor and he wrote into the bill to protect yeah. other doctors. So basically the bills pro prohibited it, but then it never, it said that they could not be criminally or civilly prosecuted. Right. And so they, they tried, they were going to kill the bill when it went to, um, when the house, change that provision to say no 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 we're going to amend this and you, they can be held liable basically for doing for breaking this law they we passed it but we didn't get puberty blockers so puberty blockers are still allowed to be used in georgia but um cross-sex hormones and surgeries not now when i look at something like that i still look at it as a win because i say even though we weren't it still will probably have the same effect because no doctor is going to prescribe puberty blockers if there's no way to go on to cross-sex hormones at the age of 16 it's just right. not going to happen so i think it still you know has the desired effect but it would have been nice to have it in there um but i talked to a lot of these legislators and yeah a lot of them like most people don't realize like almost everybody i talked to and i've met people from across the spectrum MAGA republicans um all over. I have people come up, give me hugs at these events and everything. And it's like, everybody says, I don't care what adults do, but you know, leave the kids alone. And that's, that is why I don't like, 
again, the online space as much because you get these wild perceptions because of the most extremes. Yeah. When 90% of the people aren't even on those extremes. I mean, like the number of people that are even registered to use Twitter here in the US is is small. Yeah. Compared to the general population. So I think most people don't care what adults do. They just don't want to see kids being harmed. And actually, we know that even 68% of Democrats don't agree with medicalization of kids. Um, latest studies all show that too. But yet politicians are doing their own thing to push their own agendas and people just aren't voting them out of office because apparently they don't care that much about kids, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Same no, thing. It's... I think it's six, it's 71% of people don't agree with males in sports and yet they put, they push and push and push this stuff. Like it's mainstream. Yeah, no, it's something that I've realized too, is that if you're operating your life based on like Twitter trends, you're, you're probably doing it wrong. Like it's not, <laughs> yeah. like it's just not uh, indicative of really anything other than the people on Twitter. And, and there's so many, as like you said earlier, now that people are getting paid for their engagements um, and our, our uh, impressions uh, on Twitter, there's a lot more uh, bait out there to get people to interact or, or to visit things. And, and it's just too bad because I, I think people get sucked into that, into that Twitter vortex and thinking like, Oh my God, all this stuff is rampant. And it's like, I don't, I don't think it's as, as wild and, and rampant as people would have you believe on Twitter. But I think Twitter is a good way to realize like, Oh, there's something going on in Georgia. Like we should, we should, what's going on. Oh, there's something going on in Utah or Nevada or wherever. Like they, we can, we can pinpoint where these things are happening, but it doesn't necessarily mean that every kid's been handing, being handed a copy of, of, of gender queer, but it's, yeah. it doesn't mean that that, that particular instance isn't, or that particular book isn't inappropriate for kids between the ages of, you know, seven and 11 or 12 or whatever, you know, like we, yeah. we need, we need to know these things. Um, but I think it's another, I think it's an issue that people have is they don't know how to unplug from, from social media. They, they do think of, think of it as an accurate, accurate representation of life. Um, and they don't know how to balance like their news stories with their real life. Like, does everything involve my kids? No, you know, there's, there's things I don't need to really worry about right now, but I should be aware that certain, that some teachers are trying to push certain ideologies in, yeah. in, in assignments, in books. I should be aware of, um, of what books my kids are reading. And these are things that you should just be doing anyway as a parent. Yeah. You should just be involved with with your kids and, and their homework and what's going on, like my mom was. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're taking an active role in your kids' lives. I mean, that's what we should be doing. I think COVID kind of just released a lot of this to when kids were at home and thinking and seeing what was actually and parents were seeing what was going on. And I think that people need to go and really look to see what like social emotional learning really is about, like stuff like that, because mm -hmm that's like subversive because again, it's like these Khalifa traps where like, why don't you want kids to be socially, you know, emotionally well when they're learning? Like, yeah. well, if you go and actually look at it, you'll realize it's a social credit system playing out in yeah. front of us. So like you have to like dive into those types of things. So I think just, there's so many people that are unaware. I think you're right. Um, but I, I mean, I go back home to visit my family um, and they live in a small town and they don't really see a lot of this stuff because they just watch local news and it's not even about any. Yep. Oh no. Is it my, is it my connection or did I lose? 
Sarah. Did I lose you? Oh, I think you're, I thought it was me for a second. Okay, I think you're back now. You're a bit you're a bit robot-y, but I do see you. Can you can you hear me? What just happened? <laughs> oh, can you hear me okay now? Are you here? Yep. Yeah, I can. All right, perfect. I don't know if that was me I was or like, you. What but... happened? <laughs> <laughs> I don't anyway. know. We both just went blank. I was like, what just happened? Um <laughs> but no, it's like, yeah. I my 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 family, they just um I mean they just they are not like entwined in social media. I mean, they're like still, I think everybody's still just on Facebook. So I, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that just don't see everything that's going on, yeah. but a lot of people started to even wake up when the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing happened with Bud Light. Like that was a huge thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That's when a lot of people really got like woke up. That made me realize that some of this stuff, yeah, some of these trends do hit middle America that's not perpetually online, like those of us who work in media. Yeah, it's it's weird. I, I have to say, I could I could probably talk to you for like three hours uh, yeah. about stuff. You're you're awesome. Um I I, I will I, I know I said like an hour, hour and a half, and I will I will hold you to that. I and I want to thank you for coming on and give us a few minutes to, to do a little after segment, um, for those yeah, on, uh, on locals. Um, but tell everyone, give everyone a, a rundown of where they can find you. If you have some stuff coming up that people can look forward to. Yeah. So, I mean, just biggest, easiest way to find me is go to my website, which is just sarahhigdon.com. Um, there's a links page on there. And for some reason, um, you, that's the only place that you can find out all, like see all of my, um, my op-eds and all the freelance articles I had, I was doing for the post-millennial before I started working there. But then if you just go to um, like, just to see all my daily news articles and stuff like that, it's just, you can just go to postmillennial.com slash author slash Sarah, Sarah Higdon. And that's where I, all my stuff is same with um, um, human events. But other than that, go to my website, you can go to my, my, my YouTube rumble is just Sarah Higdon. Um, and then Instagram and Twitter is Sarah Higdon with an underscore after it. Awesome. Well, like I said, thank you again for joining me and thank Thanks you ever for having for, me <laughs> for chat. Oh, it looks like we got a super chat that oh. off topic to read at the end. <laughs> Has Sarah been to Helen, Georgia? If not, she should, if it's still not weird and fun, don't tell me, <laughs> but <laughs> I haven't I'm, been to Helen. I've, not really heard it was fun and weird so i don't know um i think i want to say it's in north georgia though um i do i live i live in atlanta um but and so i'm not sure how far that is away though um well thank you for the super chat affluent appreciate it uh good to see you um and again thank you thank you to the whole chat for for hanging out and watching today i'm going to record a, a little segment for locals for people to see on there um affluent i know you IRL basically. So maybe I'll just send it to you because I'm a good friend. Um, but thank you again, Sarah. Thank you, chat. Um, I'm going to roll the credits and we will see everybody next time.